here. I uh, just want to welcome everybody here today again as we meet uh, once again on Sunday online for worship. Also want to just uh, welcome any visitors here. I don't know who, everyone who's here today, but um, if you're visiting today, uh, we just want to welcome you as well. And hopefully one day we get to um, just greet you face to face. Um, I don't know what you guys been doing for July 4th weekend. Hopefully it's been a good weekend for you and um, maybe a little break from whatever it is that you were doing at home, whether it's work or whatever the case is. But today we are <clears throat> continuing here in our uh, look here in the book of 1 Corinthians. And right now we are in chapter 4 and uh, we're looking at the last part of, of this chapter. And uh, this chapter and, and this whole book actually... Uh, as I've been trying to show, is, is, is very relevant in many ways because as Paul deals with the people here in this church, um, the Corinthians, and the things that they are struggling with and things that they're wrestling with, they, they're very relevant to us, um, very similar to many things that, that we go through as well, not only as a church, but as an individual. And if you've just heard the passage that was read to you by James, you notice the language that Paul's using now in these verses. It, it's, it's, uh, it's family matters. Uh, Paul is talking now to this church in the language of family. Um, you hear that and you see that with the words like father and my children, uh, my beloved, and so on and so forth. And so that's sort of the tone that now he's taking uh, in these verses. You know, tomorrow, <clears throat> tomorrow's my dad's birthday. Um, and uh, I think he, he's going to be around 77, 78 years old. And, uh, you know, as I think about my own father, um, much like maybe many some of, of your own fathers, an immigrant who came from Korea to make a life here in the States for his family and for himself, uh, growing up with my dad was pretty intense. It, it, it was pretty scary if I think about it, looking back. Um, his form of discipline, you probably wouldn't get away with it today, uh, if you know what I mean. Uh, it was oftentimes, it was very loud, uh, very physical, and, and sometimes I, I'd probably say even a little bit violent. And there are times growing up with, uh, with a dad like that, you kind of wonder, like, what's wrong with him, right? Why is he always on my case? Why, why is he always... Uh, so hard, uh, so stern, so intense. Why sometimes? Why is why is he always feel like sometimes mean? Um, and um, that's kind of in many ways how I kind of kind of thought of my dad growing up. Uh, it was kind of it was kind of scary sometimes, even as a, a young kid. But it wasn't until college I didn't understand. But it wasn't until college where uh, I learned as my dad confessed to me that that he loves me and that that's the reason why he did everything and a lot of that maybe was misplaced but that was his reason and to be honest i think i could count maybe on one hand how many times he's actually said he's loved me but i know he really meant it and now that i think about it now that i'm older and we're older and many of us have our own children and there are many things i said you know what i would never be like my dad i won't do like some of the things that maybe my dad did with me and i'll try something different but as i get older what i find and maybe what you find is that I become more and more like my father than I thought I would, and even with my own children. And, and so what we see here is, is that kind of relationship. Family matters with the Apostle Paul and the people in this church. And if you remember, you know, in the past four chapters, Paul too, he's been pretty hard on this church in, the, uh, in Corinth. Um, he's, he's unloaded on them you know, in the past few chapters. So he's, he's kind of railed against their pride, against their love for human wisdom. Uh, he's kind of 
point it out and, and call them out on their splits and their quarrels over which preacher they like the best. Um, <clears throat> he's really been just laying into them. And uh, it's pretty harsh. Even last week, if you remember last week, at the end of the last passage we studied, uh, he even becomes sarcastic. Now, you know, when you get to a place of sarcasm, you know you're dealing with strong language. And, and so Paul is, is pretty tough. It's pretty hard on the church that he says he cares about. But in our passage today, uh, here, he stops where he is. And in verses 14 to 21, he tells them why he is so stern and why he is so strong, and why he feels that he needs to speak with, with such intensity and such conviction. He says in verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Do you hear the language that he's using? He's saying this, this is why... I am so hard on you. This is why I am so intense with you, because this is how intense I feel for you. I'm not just an apostle. Uh, I'm not just preaching to you as the servant of God. Uh, I'm not just being passionate about being theologically correct or morally right. I'm passionate for you. Uh, I'm intense about you, and this is why, because I care about you. I care about you like a father who cares for his children. That's why I'm hard on you. In verse 15, I'm your father spiritually. That's what he says. And so he's giving the Corinthians the reason for why he does this. And as many as an issue that these people had, Paul's reminding them in this passage that Paul loved them deeply. He calls them beloved, beloved children, beloved. The word beloved here comes from the root word agape, which some of you may have already known. And it's the deepest kind of love that they could think of. It's not just brotherly love, right? That would, then he would use the word phileo or you know, where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But it's not brotherly. It's, it's deeper than that. And so Paul is trying to show them why he is this way. And the reason he says he's this way is because that's how much he loves them, like a father who loves his children. You remember Paul, like he planted this church in Corinth. And so many of the people here in this church were people that he had himself led to faith to Jesus Christ. So he is like a spiritual father, a parent to them through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the previous verses, he had a, uh, you know, sort of rather biting tone in verses 8 to 13. But now he's talking like a parent and he's softening up and he's saying this, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to parent you. I'm trying to admonish you as my beloved children. That's what he says in verse 14, right? He's not saying these things to call them out just to shame them, to make them feel bad, but to admonish them. Now, you have to understand something about that word admonish, right? The word means to critique in love with a view towards change. The word admonish means that you assume that there's a problem. You assume that there's a weakness. Uh, you assume that there's a sin. And it's, he's saying here this, I see a sin. I, I see a weakness, and I want to correct it in love so that you might be changed. It's not punishment. It's not just beating them up with a big stick, right? It's seeking to bring them back on the right track, to bring them back, to win back the one you love. That's what real discipline does, doesn't it, right? And so admonishing is one of the things that you do when you have a relationship with someone you care about. You admonish. That's why you admonish. 
And if we're ones who tend to go around with more of a permissive attitude all the time, thinking that, you know what, it's okay, I'm being nice, I'm being gracious, I'm being loving, that's not always loving, to always be permissive. Sometimes that's just neglect. If you never admonish, right, if you never admonish, it might mean sometimes you just don't care. And so if you're a parent today, you might relate with this. You should relate with this. And if you have parents, uh, you might recognize this, at least some of this, uh, in your own parents. Because what Paul's doing here is this. As a spiritual parent, he's going to use all the tools at his disposal to reach his children, to get through them just like we would do it uh, with our own kids, right? Uh, that we would do everything we can to get through to our kids, especially if we see them taking the wrong turn or just going astray. And that's what precisely Paul is doing here. He deeply loves his children in the faith, and so he's admonishing them. He's been admonishing them. And the way he's going to do this in, in, in our passage today, the way he tries to remind him of this is this. He mentions three things, three things, maybe <clears throat> three strategies, three, three tools, you could say, to try and drive uh, his admonition home. Okay, so let's look at those really quickly. First, his first thing that he, he tries to, to do is this. In verse 16, he noticed this. He says, I urge you then be imitators of me, be imitators of me imitation. So he's calling them to repent. He's calling them to change. He's calling them to do better. And he calls them to imitate him in all the ways that is normal for the Christian life. He says, that's what he says. He says, Paul says, imitate me. Just do what I do. Okay. And I think we can relate with this. I mean, I could relate with that. There was a period in my life from growing up that my dad was really into golf, like many of you are. And uh, he was never a great golfer, but he was decent. But he would always golf uh, in his younger years. And he would always make me come. And I, and I think I've shared this with you before. But when I'd go, sometimes I just felt like he'd just make me caddy, just caddy for him. And he would never rent a cart. He would always walk and he would always make me carry. Now, back then, you know, back then, the, the golf bags weren't light and out of tech material. They were they were. It was heavy leather. It was just heavy. And we lived in the South and it was, it was hot. It was muggy. And, and then he would take breaks in between holes to kind of show me how to swing or how to do this and, and uh, tell me how to do it, how to, uh, you know, how to think about it. And to be honest, I never picked it up. I, I didn't like it. I just didn't like golf. And then he would just be frustrated with me. And then he would just tell me, he would just say this, just do what I do. Just do what I do. Watch me do it. And you do the same. And that's what he just kept telling me. And of course, I never really picked it up. But that's what he's saying. Imitate me. That's what Paul is telling the Corinthian church. Do what I do. And I think we need to remember this. Whether you're a parent to a child, or maybe even if you're a child to a parent, or or friend to a friend. If you say, hey, son, hey, daughter, hey, mom and dad, hey, friend, I want you to have faith in God. I want you to be a good Christian. I want you to put your trust in him. I want you to live for him. I want you to obey him. I want you to, I want to help you get going here. So here are the principles and here are the facts. Now just do these. But if they look at you and they look at your life and they say, yeah, you know, but I don't see these things in your life. I don't see these things being done in your life as well, as well either. How do you respond to that? I mean, what can you say to that? If that's the response we get, haven't we lost some credibility? And here's the point, I think. 
if you love someone in faith and you want them to be a certain way in faith, then you better be sure that you are what you want them to be. You better be sure that you are what you want them to be because they'll never become what you want them to be unless they can see it in you. Unless you could say, imitate me, right? Do as I do. Paul says, imitate me. He's telling his Corinthians, he wants them to get better. He says, imitate me. And he can say that because he doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. He walks in the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And so he's saying to this church that he really loves and they really cares about, let's get on the right track together. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. All right? That's the first thing he tells them to get them on the right track. Okay, the second thing that I, he tries to do <clears throat> in his uh, admonition is this. Uh, it's another family idea, but it's pretty much it's this. It's get big brother. You know, I, I have two siblings, if you don't already know. Uh, I have a sister who's a year younger than me, and I have a brother who many of you know, another pastor, who's like five years younger than me. And, you know, if you can imagine, uh, you know, my, my dad and sometimes my mom was tough on them as well. But sometimes what they would do is they would tell me to talk to my brother or they would tell me to talk to my sister. Because sometimes maybe coming from mom and dad uh, is one thing, but coming from your own brother is another thing. And it might work. And so that's what they told me to do. They just hey, can you talk to him? Can you talk to her? And to be honest, in my experience, um, that worked with my brother. I had more influence over my brother than I did my sister. It didn't really work with my sister, uh, as many of you already know. But look at what Paul tells this church. He says in verse 17, he says, this is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul sends over big brother. That's what he does. Another faithful child in the Lord. Someone that has imitated Paul, someone that, that Paul had a, a hand in in, in in raising. And, you know, Paul's not there in the church right now, right? He's, he's, he's far away, and it's been a while. And so he's going to send this guy, Timothy, who he had a close relationship with, a, a relationship with another uh, fellow Christian, a brother he calls, a child he calls, and he's going to send them to this church. But do you see this? Paul says... Later, he says, I want to be with you in person, but he sends Timothy, someone who imitated Paul, someone who could remind these people of Paul, both by the way he lives and also by what he taught. And because of that, Paul's thinking is this, that to have Timothy with them was almost just as good as having Paul there. Right? Paul says, I love you like a father loves his children. I want you to imitate me. And by the way, I'm sending Timothy, a fellow brother. Watch him. Listen him. And that's a method that he uses. He gets the brother to come in to help. Someone who is like Paul. Okay? So not only does he say, imitate me, not only does he send in a brother like Timothy, but last, uh, thirdly, he does this. Um, and this is something I think, again, if you're a parent, you can also relate with, and that is, uh, you know, there was, there was a period when my, when my kids were younger, 
uh, you know, they would horseplay around a lot in the house, right? They would just sometimes go crazy. And what I would do back then is I had this method. I would just give them three opportunities, three chances to stop. If I say stop, if I say stop the third time, if they don't stop, you know, messing around, then that's when I say this. I said, I'm going to come up. I'm going to come up, right? Don't make me come up there. So they're going crazy. They're going crazy. And I say, stop. And if they don't, and it's still going crazy, I say, stop. And if they don't, all right, if you don't stop, don't make me come up there. That's the third time, right? Uh, that's what I used to do. And then on the third time, oftentimes when I do go up, you know what happens is my kids scatter. <laughs> they scatter like, like mice running from a cat and everything stops. Well, <clears throat> if you understand that, in verses 18 to 21, this is what Paul says he's going to do. <clears throat> he says this. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? You hear what Paul's saying here? He's doing the same thing. He's saying basically this, don't make me come up there. Don't make me come up there, right? You want me to come with a rod? Or you want me to come with a spirit of gentleness? That's what he's saying. Don't make me come up there. He's giving them a warning in a certain way. But whether he comes with the rod or whether he comes with a spirit of gentleness, he's saying, that's up to you, right? That's up to you. But either way, he's going after them. He's going to pursue them, this church, these people, because he cares for them, because he loves them. And he's going to use every tool in his bag to try and bring them back from their pride to repentance and to humility. And he's even prepared to discipline them. That's what you see here in verse 21. I'll bring a rod if I have to. That's what he's saying. And he very much wants to come them with the love and, and the spirit of gentleness. But what he's saying is that if he has to exercise discipline among them when he comes, he's prepared to do so. He's prepared to do so. But I want you to understand this. Paul's agenda is not to go there and beat them up, okay? Paul's agenda is not to go there and, and try to make them feel bad or try to shame them or even wound them, right? But his agenda is to win them, is to win them back, is to bring them back to repentance, okay? Now, here's an important thing. When Paul gets there, what do you think Paul wants to look for when he says he'll visit them? And we find that in our verses here, in verses 18 to 21. It's one word. Authenticity. Authenticity. A spiritual authenticity. He, he's looking for this. He's going to ask him this. Basically, he's asking this church and these people here, are you for real? Are you for real as a Christian? Or are you just faking it? Are you just pretending? Is your faith real? This is what he says in verse 19. He says, uh, I'll come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but it consists in power. What he's saying is this. He says, when I come, I'm going to shine a spotlight on the spiritual authenticity of the people here in this church who are in much trouble and much division. He's saying, look, I want to see if they are all talk or whether they really know anything about the reality of faith. Not talk, he says, but power. 
What does he mean when he says power? He means basically spiritual reality, a reality. Do they know anything about the spiritual reality? That's the question he wants them to be asking themselves. Are you for real? Are you for real as a Christian or are you just pretending? Are you just going through the motions, right? Are you just saying the right things, but really thinking and living differently? And I think this is important for us today because it's really a question that we should be asking ourselves as we read his words. Sometimes we need to ask this question to ourselves. You, you, do you know who, who might need to ask this question the most? It's people like me. It's people like me. It's people who grew up going to church. It, it's people like me who make a living going to church and preaching and even teaching the Bible and doing it for such a long, long time and going to church for such a long, long time and then always being surrounded by people who go to church for such a long, long time. Sometimes, sometimes it's, my, it's healthy to just kind of wonder, am I really living like a real Christian? Like someone whose life is totally undeserved, living like someone who lives by his grace alone, like someone who deserved nothing but condemnation, but instead we got life, we got blessings, and we got a savior. Do I live like this? Do I really believe this? Do I know anything about the power of the cross, the power of his grace, and the power and the work of his spirit in my heart and in my life? Do I know personally this spiritual reality? Or is my Christian life all talk? Is it mere words, an outward show? Am I always surrounded by people who may really have a relationship with Jesus, but, but I just don't have one myself? And to be honest, I ask myself this question every now and then, and sometimes the answer isn't always so clear. It's not always so clear. And it's something that we need to deal with. But this is what Paul's after to call this church and to call us to assess our own hearts, to challenge us to get real. He wants to call these people out who did a lot of talking, but maybe not much walking. He wants them to understand that, that mere talk is not enough, that life and power and action and obedience is also just as much what they need. So <clears throat> let, me, let me close with this. Suppose you look at your own life as a Christian. Suppose you look at your own heart uh, as a Christian and you discover, right? You discover that in fact, you've got a lot of head knowledge and you've got a lot of talk, but not enough reality. And it's been far too long now. Suppose you've been led by God under the ministry of his word to confess that in fact, your Christian life, a lot of it has been show. What do you do? What do you do? I mean, think about it, <clears throat> like many of us who grew up in church and then went away to college and, and even our children who are growing up in church, but one day will move out of the house. Oftentimes you grew up and, and you kind of just, all you knew was the church. All you knew was, was, was Christianity, right? And you got baptized and, and you, you just went to all the services and all the retreats. And then all of a sudden, now you're on your own. Now you don't have parents to bring you to church. Now, now you're kind of on your own and making your own decisions. And, and you're hearing and you're learning about different things. And all of a sudden, later on in life, even though you've been baptized, even though you grew up in the church, you kind of wonder, wait a minute, uh, was it for real? Am I really a, a Christian or is this just how I grew up? 
And we start doubting and we start wondering, right, about our faith. What do you do? What do you tell your kid when, when they go through this or if they go through that? Or maybe, <clears throat> maybe you used to go to church. Maybe when you were younger, you used to go to church, but now it's been a long time. It's been a while, and, and, and you're not sure anymore what you believe, or, or you're not sure anymore you know, how real things are now for you in your life. What do you do? What do you say? And I think what Paul tells us is this. He's saying this. Go back to the basics. When you find yourself in a situation where you're not sure if your life or your Christian life is really authentic or not, the only thing we can do is to go back to what we learned from the beginning, to start there at least, to be reminded of what we learned, what we've had, what we saw in our parents, in our, in our older brothers and sisters, and, and, and those who are more mature in our teachers and so on and so forth. We, we go back to the beginning to remind of what we have and what we've learned. Look at what Paul's doing, okay? Just follow me, just listen to me very carefully. This is what Paul's doing. In his words and in his actions, he's modeling himself as a spiritual father who loves his children, right? He says, imitate me. But he's reminding them and he's reminding us, no matter what kind of earthly father you have or had, you too have a spiritual father. A heavenly father, God himself. And he says, imitate me. Be holy as your heavenly father is holy. Do you see this? Paul says in this passage to this church, uh, he's going to send to this church a brother, Timothy, who's going to represent Paul in life and in thought. But then you're reminded, you have a father in heaven who sent you his son, Jesus Christ who is our older brother, who now represents perfectly his father in life and in thought. In fact, so much so, John says in chapter 14, verse 9, you see me, you see the father. That's what Jesus says, right? Paul says, I, I want to go to you in person. And it may be with a rod or it may be with gentleness. It's up to you. But I'm going there to win you back either way. But think about this. Look at what you have. Jesus has come to us. Jesus himself has drawn near to us. He pursues us like a shepherd who leaves the 90, uh, 99 sheep to go after the one lost sheep. Like Paul who wants to go to this church, it's God who has now come to us, his son. Not to punish us, right? But to take our punishment by giving his life for us on a cross. Why? So that he could win us over. So that he could bring us back back to repentance with his amazing grace and also with loving discipline. Not to yell at us, not to shame us, not to condemn us, but to encourage us to walk and to work alongside of us in the strength of his spirit. Do you see that? What do you do if you find that your Christianity is more outward form, but not inner reality? What do you do if it's mere talk, but none of the power? You need to go back to Jesus Christ. You need to run to him. You need to get in to Christ. You need to remind yourself over and over again of these spiritual realities. And then you need to pray and say, God, Lord, help me to walk. Help me to live in these things. Help me to act like it. Help me to think like this. Help me to speak and do like this. Don't bring your pedigree. Don't, don't bring your religious credentials. 
Paul's telling them, look, it's time to come clean. That's what Paul is after amongst these Corinthians. It's time to get real, to confess our sin and our need, and to cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ for that reality in our lives again. No more talk, no more show, no mere religious performance, but to pray that the reality of Jesus Christ will break into my life and then oftentimes then start to show in a slow and sometimes hard process of renovation in my heart of the reality of his grace in my life. This is what he's calling the Corinthians to, right? And this is what he's calling us to, to examine ourselves. And as a parent who loves his church and his children, he's pleading with us, imitate him. Listen to your older brother in Christ, right? Uh, he'll come, whether disciplined or whether with love, he'll come to pursue us. And he's asking us to remember this and to check our hearts and ask us ourselves the question, are you for real? Are you for real? Or is it all mere talk? Is it all mere talk? And we're called to search our hearts in light of Paul's family exhortation. I hope and pray, no matter where you are in your faith right now, uh, whether you're just learning about things or coming back to things or whether you've been in it for a while but you're not sure anymore, that you stick with the basics, that you come back to what's important, that you remind yourself of what Paul reminds this church, uh, that he loves us, he disciplines us, he pursues us, and he asks us to come to him again and again and again. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your patience. Um, Lord, for many of us who have been going to church, not just in our church, but just church in general, um, many, many of us who have heard over and over again, who have been serving, who have been uh, just busy even uh, with the spiritual things of our lives, oftentimes it can be so mundane and become so routine. And oftentimes it can just become a habit where we forget why we're doing what we're doing. And I pray, God, that if that's any of us today, Lord, that we would be reminded again of why we do what we do. That if we're not sure, that if our life as a Christian following after you seems to be lacking in effectiveness and fruitfulness, that we'd be brought back to you again. That we remind ourselves again, that we come to you in prayer, and that we ask that, Lord, that you would bury these truths deep in our hearts and help us to trust in you that you are really growing even if it feels routine lord that we know that you're still working in our hearts bring us back to that point for some of us lord maybe we've never gotten there maybe maybe we we've been around but haven't arrived yet at this point in faith if that's us god i just pray that you break into our hearts Help us to be open. Help us to be thoughtful. Help us to know that you are a God because you've given us your son. You're very receptive and accepting as we are because you are the one who's going to do the work that we cannot. And so, Lord, um, open our minds so that we might more understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring us to a point, Lord, where we may find you. Wherever we are, we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your fatherly love for us. We're thankful that you call us to imitate you, to follow after you by looking at our brother, Jesus Christ, and a son who comes to us, um, sometimes to discipline, but also to love. In either way, Lord, to pursue us out of genuine, deep love and concern for us, your children. And so, Lord, we're thankful for that. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>